but it was here the gray man had once confided in him. Lifetimes ago, it felt like here was where lay the heart of the edge and her secrets. Whether it was golden quarter courtesans or wenches working scullery in the keep or the bands of spice-addled thugs who roved the lower districts, you couldn't break wind in a city like this without someone taking note and passing word down the road. And sooner or later, all roads ran back to the spider. What's up, you guys? Welcome back to episode two. If you haven't caught the first episode yet, I will leave a link to the playlist in the episode description. So check that out down there and I'll see you back here in 25 minutes. Question of the day, what is your favorite fantasy novel? If you stick around to the end of the episode, I'll let you know mine, but let me know yours in the comments. All right, now to the good stuff. I'm Josh Call and this is Last Coliseum. When the rancher's wife awoke, the light was wrong. She rubbed the sleep from her eyes and frowned. On most mornings, she was up before the sun. But today, even as her crusty eyes crackled open, there was already a thin ingot of sunlight slanting in through the gap in the moth-eaten curtains. She was late. She slipped from her deep, familiar recess in the ancient feather mattress beside the old buck. He farted a quick good morning, still fast asleep, she rolled her eyes and heaved herself up from the bed. On the third try, she found her feet, and she waddled over to the window to draw wide the curtains. It was just as she'd feared, just like old Jake on the night he carried her in through the threshold. Too many years and suns and cows ago to count, it seemed to Sarai. The morning sun had come too soon, already three fingers above the horizon. She waddled over to the hearth and stoked some life back into last night's embers. Then she swept the floor free of ashes and shuffled outside to fetch a log from the woodpile. The woodpile was just outside the door, but she took the long way around, past the front of the barn where she could peek in and check in on the horses, and, of course, their strange new house guest. It was Jake who had found him sleeping in the rafters some two nights previous. He'd almost skewered him on the end of his pitchfork before Sa intervened. Instead, they'd fed and watered him and given him one of Jake's old cloaks to replace the holy one he'd been wearing. He refused at first, until she accidentally burned the old one to a crisp while it was boiling. In exchange, she'd put him to task, chopping logs and mucking out the barn and other such chores for which she and the rancher were becoming too old and too doughy by half. There he was naked save for a swatch of cloth around his nethers, standing beside the cot she'd badgered Jake into dragging out for him. To be quite honest, she didn't much care for the drawings on his back, but the way his muscles rippled as he moved about in his strange, slow dance made something hot and leaden uncoil which had long lay dormant in her breast. She didn't dare mention this to anyone, but on the first morning after they'd found him in the barn, she'd hidden in one of the horse stalls, watching him through a knothole until he stepped outside to make water. That was a secret she'd keep between her and God and Spotted Kate. She felt the color rise to her cheeks, and she hurried on toward the woodpile. She was already behind on her chores, and if their guest caught her spying on him, she'd positively die of shame. Jake was still snoring like a hog when she came back, the basket on her arm laden with eggs from the coop outside. By now, the fire was a happy crackle, and the air was thick and warm inside the shack. By the time the rancher stirred, the eggs were crisp and steaming on wood plates, and a few tongues of bacon were sizzling on the flat cooking stone above the hearth. 
He yawned and hobbled over to the eating table, joints popping like knots of wood in the fire. Sa hardly looked up at him. Her focus was on tending the bacon. Even so, she whacked his knuckles as he tried to steal a nibble from one of her plates. The old man was still rubbing his bruised hand and cursing as he wandered outside to do his necessaries. The sun had climbed another two fingers skyward when she stepped outside again, plate in hand. She'd eaten her own meal first, elsewise Jake would have stolen another bite from her. But there was still a thin curl of steam wafting up from the crispy black bacon. She came to the door of the barn and rapped twice on the wooden frame. No response. She coughed and knocked again. Still nothing. She waited respectfully without for another moment, then poked her head inside. The cot and barn were both empty. Spotted Kate gave her a quizzical look with those big brown eyes, then wicked a fly off her rump. Sarai frowned. She found him standing below the archway at the entrance to the homestead. Jake's family name was carved in bold black letters on the ancient beam overhead. He was facing east, his gaze following the dirt road toward the city. Some miles off, the cliff rose to meet the sky like an impassable stone wall to cut the lowlanders off from the civilized world. He was still wearing the cloak she'd given him, and in one hand he loosely clutched the ratty canvas satchel he had brought with him. If she'd had her way, Saw would have burned that too, but she didn't think she could manage her trick a second time. His hood was drawn, but even so she could guess at the brooding expression he wore, the look of purpose in those solid gray eyes, the puckered white lightning scar twisting across his face, jagged and terrible. You're leaving, she called up to him. She'd meant it as a question. It came out flat and accusing. Her face flushed. The traveler cocked his head to one side, but didn't turn. I've taken enough from you already. None of that now. You're welcome to stay as long as you like. Maybe if I come back this way, Sa bit her lip. Will you at least have some eggs? It's a long way to the stair without a bite in your belly. He turned and looked her full in the face. She thought she saw a smile twitching at the corner of his lip. She brandished the plate. There's bacon? She sat on a bale inside the barn while he scarfed down the breakfast she'd brought him. By now, she knew better than to bring flatware. He attacked it with bare fingers. In no time at all, he was gulping down the last strip of bacon. And to think, Sarai said triumphantly, you'd have gone on without breakfast. He set the empty plate on the cot beside him and stood up. Tell Jake thanks for not gutting me. She was still sitting on the bale when he stooped down, and planted a bristly kiss on her smile-lined cheek. His breath was smoky from the bacon. And thank you, Sa, for everything. Her face was burning. The traveler straightened up and drew his hood. He was halfway out the barn when she said, Sure, I can't convince you to stay. You're very kind, she snorted. Kindness be damned. Ever since Jake's fall, he's been getting too long in the tooth to break horses and range cattle. Can't pay you much, but you'd have a roof and food and someone to do your washing. Might even convince Jake to move your cut in by the hearth. That smile he'd been holding back now broke across his cheeks. It made her sad. It looked strange and alien on his rugged features. Name survive, Sarai. Sa sighed and nodded. She rose from the bale and followed him out of the barn. Her throat was tight. Thrice over, Haytham, came the customary reply. Then she turned and marched back into the shack before he could notice the wet on her cheeks. The sun was a blazing eye overhead 
and sweat dripped like rain from Hayden's chin. He couldn't say whether Sarai's gift was a blessing or a curse. Holy though his old cloak may have been, this one felt like wearing a brick oven draped over his shoulders. Even so, it kept the sun off his neck, and for perhaps the hundredth time in those two days, he marveled at the kindness the rancher's wife had shown him. There were a few bodies on the road. Most of them were headed in the same direction he was, no doubt bound for the city to buy or to sell. The road itself had begun to thicken, pebble-strewn and grooved with wheel ruts. He wished he still had his walking stick. He'd lost it a few days ago after a shadow cat decided to try and make a meal of him out on the hard pan. He'd left the staff embedded in the lion's skull. The last thing he needed was for any other predators to smell the brains on it and come a-prowling. Already he could hear the roar of the jacksum hurtling over the cliff. Up ahead, the waterfall slashed the impassable stone barrier neatly in two. On either side, he could faintly make out the switchbacks that zigzagged up the sheer face, the only way up to the city on the cliff. The Edge, such was her god-given name, was the westernmost seat of power in the Siren Dominion, the outer verge of civilization since men first washed up in their longboats on the eastern shore. Every man and woman in the Westerlands, from the jaw to the setting sun, was under her authority, and to her they paid their tax. More folk on the road. By the time he came through the last village, hardly more than a few ramshackle buildings clustered beside the river, they'd formed a long column of men, carts, and livestock snaking its way up the cliff. He fished through his satchel for one of the small brown loaves the rancher's wife had insisted he take with him. He could tell by the look in her eye that it was only under these terms that she'd let him leave. His growling belly thanked him, and he washed it down with a pull from his water skin. Mist swirled around him and lent the fingers in the column a ghostly quality. Before he reached the foot of the cliff, the lower part of his cloak was heavy with water. He welcomed it. After the hike from the homestead, the river wet was a blessed relief from the heat. Besides, a few minutes in the sun and the sodden garment would be fire dry. He kept a hand on the wall as he moved up the switchback. Haytham had never held any particular fear of high places. It was hard growing up on a plateau some four hundred feet above the lowlands to retain that instinctive fear of heights. Still, his exile was long, and something primal stirred in him as he eyed the sprawl of the hardpan. He'd heard too many tales of drunken farmers tumbling into the empty to trust his footing with his life. It was near the summit that he saw the first grey cloak. His chainmail glinted in the afternoon light, his expression dull and placid beneath his salad. Around his neck hung the wood-smoke-colored cloak that was his namesake, and beneath it Haytham glimpsed the bulky protrusion of a longsword. His back was to the column. At first, Haytham thought he was admiring the awesome vista of the lowlands. He'd almost passed before he saw the golden streams spurting into the river mist, and over the heads of the lowlanders far, far down. A red coal of anger glowed hot in Haytham's chest, and he bit back his instinct to jostle the keeper as he made his way past, and see if he struck earth before the stream did. At the top of the switchback, another four keepers flanked the ramp, inspecting the wares of the tradesmen at the gate. All four of these had their breeches mercifully laced, praised Cirrus. Haytham passed beneath the wicked black iron teeth of a huge portcullis. The top of the wall on either side was lined with spikes. 
Those few who didn't have goods to sell were squeezing past the stalled line of wagons. The last of these was filled with goats. Haytham ducked beneath the billy that almost took a chunk out of his ear as he went by and followed them up the ramp. He was five paces past the gray cloaks and about to slip away when the keeper's voice intercepted him. You're back, he turned, his pulse quickening, his weathered face carefully blank. How did he know? The gray cloak pointed at Haytham's side. Your bag, he repeated. The satchel. He bit his lip. Even as a man grown, even after a seven-year dead, that familiar ember of ancient loathing blazed in his belly as he glared at the grizzled keeper. As a boy, he'd learned quickly to hate and to fear them. It was but one lesson among many that the streets beat into him, and those lessons learned young were slow, if ever, to unlearn. The guard eyed him mistrustfully. His hand hovered close to the butt of his weapon, the hammer branded on the back of his gauntlet gleaming in the afternoon light. His expression accused the brawler, outsider, unwelcome, dangerous. If he'd known how right he was, he'd have drawn steel and gutted the stranger right there. Haytham gripped his teeth and dropped his head. He trudged over to the guard and opened his satchel for the cloak to inspect its meager contents. The keeper pawed through it, scanned him up and down, for weapons, no doubt, then met his eye. First time at the edge, he grunted. Business or fancy? No. To settle a debt. What kind of debt, he didn't say, willing his weathered, oak-hard fists to stay slack. How many nights, how many thousand, had he lain beneath the starry sky, cupping the red flame of his vengeance between his hands, warmed by its eldritch heat? And now, so close, he could almost smell the smoke rising off it. His iron-gray eyes flicked to the gray cloak's mud-colored ones. The keeper's face was grim and calculating. A muscle in Haytham's jaw twitched. He kept his face carefully impassive. It was all he needed for this chain-mail tyrant to decide he didn't like the look of him and leave him in the stalks for a turn. The gray cloak sniffed. All right he decided, withdrawing his arm from the satchel. Move on through. Haytham thanked him and started down the cobbled street, and welcome back. He didn't sound like he meant it. Not that it mattered. The brawler wasn't staying any longer than he had to. He wrinkled his nose at the miasma of animal shits and unwashed bodies that overhung the city. Strange how he'd never noticed it before. It was only after tasting the crisp, clean hinter air that he realized that for most of his life he'd been breathing in the mingled fumes of sweat and smoke and urine. The currents of folk on the street pushed him slowly eastward toward the gray keep hunkered high above the city. He waded to the edge of the column, waving off the street peddler brandishing a brace of pigeons in his face, and watched it move past. Eastward meant cliffside, and before that the Golden Quarter, home to priests and bankers and other scoundrels. At least in the coppers, the thieves had the decency to know what they are. Home to scoundrels, aye, and to Amatha. Even thinking the fiddler's name was enough to make his heart race. On almost as many nights as he'd spent cradling his vengeance, he'd lain there and dreamt of her, pressed against the hollow of his chest, one leg draped over his. There was always a dull, sour ache at the root of him when he woke up alone. He watched the column moving east and didn't follow. He didn't trust himself to set foot within half a mile of her. 
His hand crept to his side, to the puckered white star that marked the first time he'd seen oblivion. He came back to the edge with one purpose. She could only complicate things. Still, there was a mad, hopeful part of his heart that wondered if somehow, some way, dawn broke on the other side of his bitter mission. He dug his nails into his palm and dragged himself forcibly out of his reverie. Already she was twisting up things he'd spent far too long laying straight. He had a job to do. He ducked down a side street and plunged ahead to find a man called Kingmaker. This was the place. He was sure of it. That queer sense of familiarity tugged at the corners of his senses. Hundreds of times on his slow rise to glory, he'd walked this same course to meet with his strange benefactor, a man known to few, but with his strings around many. To most who crawled along the city's underbelly, he was known simply as the Haypenny Spider, and to those privy few, Kingmaker. He'd spent a lifetime earning the moniker. It was in this same building, what was left of it anyway, that the spider had drawn a half-starved orphan knock-knuckle into his web on promises of fame and more gold than he could spend in a lifetime. Was it any wonder why Haytham had been seduced? And he delivered on that promise, for a time, until prudence demanded that he stand idle while the brethren, merchant lords and guild masters who held the governor's coin purse in a vice, put the brawler down. Haytham was standing in the street like a river stone, folks swirling past all around him. He dimly heard a shout to clear the way, but that could as easily have been directed at anyone else as him. Every man had some place to be and not enough time to get there. And anyone caught standing stupid was asking to be stepped on. This wasn't the spider's only hideaway, an unassuming building with a thatched roof tucked in the heart of the Copper District. Indeed, besides the dozens of hawk shops and dram houses with their illegal fighting pits in the basement, Kingmaker owned countless other stores and departments. From any one of these could the spider have performed the delicate work of tending to his elaborate web, trimming what needed to be trimmed, shoring up the weak points, and always, always stringing endless lines of fresh thread. But it was here, the gray man had once confided in him, lifetimes ago it felt like, where the gray cloaks never came, and the best way to judge a man's honesty was to get a good look at his teeth, here was where lay the heart of the edge. And her secrets. Whether it was golden quarter courtesans, or wenches working scullery in the keep, or the bands of spice-addled thugs who roved the lower districts, you couldn't break wind in a city like this without someone taking note and passing word down the road. And sooner or later, all roads ran back to the spider. Or at least they had, a seven-year gone by. Now the unassuming building from which he'd spun his silk looked gutted by fire, with boarded-up windows and dark holes in the thatch. The wood-slat walls were charred black. The whole structure sagged inward, like a sinner knelt before the judge, as if a strong gust might bring the whole thing down. Someone brushed past him and brought Haytham snapping back to reality. His hand went to his purse. He felt a trickle of relief. Thin, but no thinner than this morning after he left the two silver bits on the hitching post outside the barn. He knew Sarai would never have taken it, but he'd seen their shack's meager insides. They could use the coin. It was only as his hand left his purse that he realized he'd fallen into that old, quicksilver ready stance from the old days. He blinked and released the tension in his limbs. He frowned. It all came roaring back so quickly, didn't it? His former life? 
His shoulders brushed against the brick as he slipped down the narrow alley toward the back. Per the gray man's promise, there had come a day when Haytham couldn't walk out of his own front door without being attacked by admirers. How quickly his towering golden quarter apartment had turned into a prison. He'd taken to hiding his red hair beneath a cowl and used this back entrance that he might pass in and out of the spider's world unseen. The door didn't budge when he first tried the handle, but he gave it his shoulder and it splintered open. He left the door ajar as he padded ghost-like through the soot-blackened parlor, not sure what he was expecting to find. It wasn't that he didn't believe the ruined facade, although he wouldn't put it past the old schemer to have masked his study to look like a burned-out wreck. But he'd been on that road for almost a moon, and before that trekked through countless leagues of untamed outlands. He hadn't come just to quit over a little soot on the door. There was a narrow staircase behind a crumbled doorway at the back of the parlor. Halfway up, part of the ceiling had collapsed, and a wide oak beam lay slantways across the stair. He then braced a hand against it and ducked under the beam, and where he touched it, his hand came away black with ash. The door to the study was still intact, somehow, and he felt resistance on the other side when he pushed. He threw his shoulder against it, budged a little. He braced his back against the wall and pistoned his leg like a battering ram. The door smashed open, and the heavy table that had been serving as a barricade crashed onto its side. This room had not been spared the blaze either. The study still reeked of old fire. The windows were broken and boarded up, but sunlight streamed in in places where the ceiling had fallen in. Ashy moats swirled in sunlit columns. He didn't know what to think. Certainly Kingmaker had no shortage of enemies. Any one of them might have lobbed a firebomb through the window and bid the Grey Man good riddance. Vengeance is a powerful motivator, as the brawler himself could attest. But the spider had always had a knack for misdirection. It had been Kingmaker who'd shuffled Haytham out of the city in the back of a mule cart with the traitor's knife still in him. In all his dealings with the Grey Man, he'd learned not to trust what lay in front of your nose. He breathed through a fistful of his cloak as he stalked through the ruined study. He left a trail of footprints in the ash. He remembered the elaborate velvet draperies that had long ago festooned the walls. It was always a jarring sight compared to the modest facade. He could still see the crispy remnants of a few of them hanging like cobwebs from the ceiling. They'd have gone up like tinder. Someone had been here. His weren't the only footprints. There were smallish, barefoot tracks in the ash. Nor had the table been pushed in front of the door by accident. But unless whoever it was was still here... He eyed one of the holes in the blackened thatch near the corner of the room, judging whether someone nimbler than he could clamber the eight or so feet up the wall and onto the roof. Maybe. There was a fat black block, like an obsidian coffin that dominated the far end of the room. Haytham snorted. The spider had loved that ironwood relic more than a child. He'd said so more than once. But it wasn't until he stepped around the big ugly desk that he saw. The floor between the desk and the wall had been swept free of debris, and there was a rolled-up piece of sackcloth on the floor that might have served as a pillow. And hidden in the hollow of the desk, in a neat, careful row, there were three things. A wooden bowl, a small stack of copper pennies, and a paper doll with a face drawn in charcoal. Haytham didn't touch any of it. The grim semi-scowl that seemed permanently etched into his driftwood features softened a fraction. The damage was already done. They'd see his footprints in the ash, pack up their pennies in sackcloth, and venture off to find some new hidey-hole. Such was the way of things for a street child. Always on the move, always hungry, 
never at rest. He knew from experience. There'd been many nights when he'd wanted for food. Aye, but there was another terrible hunger that had grown in a young Haytham's belly over the long years spent scavenging for scraps. Gold and glory. The halfpenny spider had given him both, and he'd taken both away. His expression darkened as he scanned the room one last time, his features dappled by afternoon light slanting through the holes in the ceiling. If he couldn't find the gray man, he'd have to make the gray man find him. It was a risky wager, gambling that Kingmaker wouldn't stab first, ask questions never, but he'd wagered more on less. Before he left, he fished through his purse and pulled a single silver bit from his thin supply. It made a decisive clack as he pressed it to the iron wood. And he left. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you haven't already, make sure to subscribe and hit the notification bell so you never miss an episode. And if you're having fun, if you're enjoying the story, please share it with a friend. Now, as promised, my favorite fantasy series would probably be The Kingkiller Chronicle by Pat Rothfuss, but my favorite book within that series would be the second one, The Wise Man's Fear. Have you ever read it? Let me know. Let me know what you think of it. And uh, let me know yours down in the comments. I'll see you guys next week.